So the other week when I was up in Boston to do uh, Project Sapiens podcast, um, our big crossover episode at Cleary's Bar, um, I met Dave Camposano of 22 Mohawks. And uh, while we were talking on the podcast, we started to go down a bit of a rabbit hole about masculinity in the military. And it made me, uh, you know, I said to him, I think even on the time, hey, this would be a whole show in, a, in and of itself. So I invited him on this week to talk about masculinity, not just in the military, but in general. And in the intervening time since he and I had talked, uh, I had also been talking with Mason Roadrig, the former Marine machine gunner, who's now a professional poet. And he had started to go down a rabbit hole in my conversation with him about masculinity. So I was like, oh, dude, boy, do I have the show for you. So I invited him on and both those guys uh, agreed to come on. It was great to have them both there. Charlie uh, came in. So we had a great roundtable discussion for about 20 minutes. And Dave, who was trying something that had never been tried in weekly Havoc history, which is to record from a moving vehicle uh, for the duration of the show, uh, we realized why that doesn't work. Uh, so he he dropped off after 20 minutes and couldn't get the signal back. Uh, so unfortunately, we only get him for a little bit. Uh, and uh, that was a bummer. We'll have him back on for other stuff. But uh, I was glad we could at least have this conversation. It's it, I'm, I'm not gonna lie this is it's a huge topic there's so many avenues to go down um there was no way we were gonna fully encapture encapsulate everything we want to say about masculinity in one hour-long episode but it was fun to try and it was fun to hear uh uh everybody's point of view what was really interesting i want to talk about mason for a second because great dude i really like this guy super talented writer um, but what was really interesting is he is so Marine, you know, just drenched in testosterone, hard charging dude. And, um, through talking about masculinity and all the initial responses of a 30 something Marine Corps machine gunner, uh, you know, all those instincts, um, suddenly there became just this real soft spot, um, talking about his dad, talking about, um, some of the uh, incidents of masculinity that he's seen in his life. And uh, I thought it was really powerful stuff, really interesting things. Um, so a lot of colors, a lot of nuance that comes up um, both while we're talking about the uh, bared teeth, knife in the teeth, you know, fist clenching, smash them up, snatch and souls kind of masculinity. And when you're talking about, um, moral courage or the um, strength it takes to make hard choices. So really interesting episode. I uh, would love to actually do another one on this down the road and cover more terrain, but it was a great start. And I think you guys are going to have a really good time. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is the Weekly Havoc. Welcome to this episode of the Weekly Havoc, where we engage in roundtable discussion with the staff, writers, and friends of Havoc Journal. Try to make a little order out of chaos. 
Dave Camposano joined the Army in 2001, served in various light infantry units until his separation in 2016. He's ranger-tabbed. He's with the Golden Dragons, 214th Infantry of the 10th Mountain Division, deployed with them to Iraq. He's also a graduate of Suffolk University in Boston, where he majored in finance, and he now serves as a financial advisor with Northwestern Mutual and a financial planning team based in Wellesley, Massachusetts. He's also the founder and president of 22 Mohawks, which is a nonprofit which has the goal of bringing awareness to veteran suicide. Dave, pleasure to have you on. Chris, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, as I was telling everybody beforehand, this episode kind of came about as a result of the conversation you and I had up in Boston at Cleary's Bar, and I've already briefed everybody that this if this episode completely fails, I will put it squarely on your shoulders for coming up with this idea. But if it's a success, I'll take all the credit. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, it's great to have you on. I really appreciate it. Uh, Mason Roadrig is a former United States Marine Corps 0331 machine gunner with multiple overseas deployments, recently separated from the Marine Corps, and he is currently a professional poet and writer. You can support him through his Patreon site, and you can also follow him on Instagram at Dead Gunner Poetry. He's also the designated point man with Patrol Base Abate, which is a nonprofit offering free-of-cost retreats in Big Sky Country for service members and eligible veterans where they can reconnect with their warrior spirit, foster community through shared interests, and rediscover purpose in service to each other, their families, and their communities. Mason, welcome to the show, man. Hey, uh, hell of a write-up. I, uh, I don't know. As someone who writes, like I don't even know if I could have given myself that much credit. Much appreciated. No worries. I do do uh, resume building and uh, resume services. I can market you to any number of people. But I should, I should fully disclose, Mason and I just did uh, my Savage Wonder podcast a few days ago. So all of the platforms that I have are at Mason's disposal this week. He's being featured on all of them. And it was a pleasure to have him on Savage Wonder. And uh, it was an easy transition to ask him to come on this one and uh, knock this one out as well. So it's great to have you on, brother. Yeah, I'm just here to shamelessly self-promote at all times. So uh, yeah. I, I totally – I know the feeling. Speaking of which – Charlie Fain is with us. Charlie, as everyone that listens to this regularly knows, is an active-duty Army intelligence officer. He's the deputy director of the Modern War Institute at West Point. He has previous assignments throughout special operations, including JSOC, seven deployments in addition to, to operational tours in Egypt, the Philippines, and Korea, three master's degrees, currently a Ph.D. candidate, executive director of the Second Mission Foundation, on the board of the Veterans Repertory Theater, and, of course, owner of the Havoc Journal. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Chris, really excited to be on the show today with Mason and Dave and really enjoyed hanging out with you and Dave up in Boston. And Mason's just been a riot in the in the pre the pre show banter. I wish we would have captured more of that because this is one funny dude. I'm looking forward to this show. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I, I told Mason before, I think Mason, you saw us on my social. I was like the easiest interview I ever had to do for our, for Savage Wonder. He just required no prompting, no watering, just off to the races and uh carried the whole show on his shoulders. So, but Mason, you also fed right into our subject today because when we were talking on Savage Wonder, uh, we started to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole on masculinity, which is why you got invited on this show because this is the time and place to go down these rabbit holes. Um, So let's, let me first set the table a little bit. The subject today is what should masculinity mean and in the tradition of all bad wedding toasts and all 
badly written or generic term papers and uh, college assignments, I will start with Webster and how Webster defines some of the terms that we'll probably be bandying about today. So Webster defines manliness as the traditional male quality of being brave and strong. So it kind of defines manliness as a type of behavior. It defines manhood as the act of being a man and no longer a child. And then it defines masculinity as the qualities or attributes regarded as characteristic of men, which is why I wanted to focus on masculinity itself and more more so than manliness or manhood, because masculinity implies what society and what we all regard as a characteristic of men. And that seems to be the thing that probably is going to give us our richest material to mine today. And I'm going to further set the stage by reading a short quote from Harvey Mansfield's book on manliness. Harvey Mansfield's a God, he's been a professor at Harvard for probably about 50 years. Um, that's not an exaggeration, like literally 50 years, I think he's been there. Uh, he's one of the most well-respected professors there, but he wrote a book on manliness. And he's, and I'll, I'll just read this one brief sentence. He said, manliness, when he was defining it, manliness seeks and welcomes drama and prefers times of war, conflict, and risk. Manliness brings change or restores order at moments when routine is not enough, when the plan fails, when the whole idea of rational control by modern science develops leaks. Manliness is the next-to-last resort before resignation and prayer. Mason, let me start with you. How does that quote strike you? Can you read it again? Um, I, uh, <laughs> Basically, I, it's the next to last resort, I, right? So I break glass like, in case of emergency. Uh, yeah, it is. So we live in a world right now where masculinity is almost not required, and a lot of the social engineers and we talked about how politics is downstream of culture uh, a little bit mm-hmm. on Savage Wonder, and culturally, we are very much trying to push this idea on uh, really on the youth that gender right so i I may be confusing gender let's go with biological sex biological sex truly is a binary and there are people born in between but it's an incredibly rare thing it's not as common as they want you to believe but there are people born male or female based on biological differences which come down to testosterone and estrogen now as someone who reeks of testosterone um, a joke didn't land. Um, it is, <laughs> it is, it is clearly different. There are people who are clearly men and then women are clearly women. We are physically different and the way that we act and the roles that we take in society are different. It, it, it couldn't have been more apparent when I looked at like me and my ex-girlfriend, she pursued nursing because she is a nurturer. She cares for things. Her heart melts when it sees a baby or a puppy or like a, a, a dog, a kitten, anything. I pursued the military because I, it, 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 that quote said, masculinity prefers times of drama. I don't know if I like the word drama, but it prefers times of war because in conflict, masculinity can be proven masculinity is a thing that is not like men. So I'll say 
I have researched and read on masculinity, and there's a book called The Way of Men by Jack Donovan. It's a bit controversial. He's kind of a controversial figure, but he, I'm going to try to give a quick overview of it without rambling too long, mm-hmm. but he breaks down what it means to be a man, meaning if there is a way to be a man, then there clearly must be a way not to be a man. And mm-hmm. our society right now, when you ask what makes a man a good man, they'll say, uh, a good man is a kind man or a generous man or he's thoughtful right. or he's considerate. And these are all these are all good things, but these are not exclusive to men. And he said, what is what is exclusive to men? So first, how do we judge men? And he proposed that men judge each other. Like our worth is man mm-hmm. come from other men, which is why young men seek the infantry. Currently, uh, so women are getting into it, but not many, because not many women actually even want to go there. Women naturally follow roles that make sense to them biologically, just like men do, which is why young, high test test men seek infantry culture. Um, but it's because so, that's a place okay. where they can they can be held they can be held to standards by other men and know where they stand. Sure. Sure. And I think then if we're looking at the qualities of masculinity and what and that those qualities, if, if those are attributes that are regarded as characteristic of men, what we regard as characteristic of men can change over time. So, Dave, when you hear this, what, is it, what does masculinity mean to you and do you see that? Have you seen that change over your lifetime, what you regarded as masculine? I remember when I was in a RIP back in 2001, um, day one in RIP, we were, a bunch of us were all sitting in the classroom. And the instructor gets up in the class. The first thing he asked was, he's like, who wants to be in Ranger Regiment and who joined the army to kill people? Raise your hand. And, you know, 95% of the people raised their hand. You look around the room, there was like two or three people who didn't raise their hand, right? And then he said, if you didn't fucking raise your hand, get the fuck out of here. He's like, because we're killers. That's what we do. We fucking kill people. That, it's a dirty business, but that's what we're here to do, right? And, it, you know, it resonated with me. I always remember that day because I'm like, that's right. That's, that's what we do. Um, and you, you know, you get out of the military and you have these conversations with people who never served, um, you know, and they don't understand that there's a certain type of person that wants to go into that business. Um, you know, whether you kind of fall into it, you're like, Hey, I'm going to join the army for college. But then all of a sudden you realize that you're a fucking killer, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you know, that's how I, I look at masculinity, like a type personality. I'm up at fucking five in the morning. I'm in the gym. I'm busting my ass. Um, I, you know, at the at the um, at Clary's, Chris, you had mentioned how does this relate to um, women, right. females, right? right? Like, mm-hmm. are you? Did you join the military? Like, was there a woman in the back of your mind when right. you when you joined the military? Like, right. you, did you want to? Do you think that the women, you know, kind of gravitate to that level of commitment to something that's rough and tough, right? Well, and when you look at why um, why women and men – sorry not to cut you off, but just to clarify, because when you look at, at what Mason was saying before about men judging other men, a lot of times that's in relation to women. They're saying, hey, I'm more of a worthy man because I've done X, Y – like just biologically, anthropologically, it's, it's I'm a better suitor for a woman because I have done X, Y, and Z and demonstrated X, Y. And Z, and you haven't yet, so you're not there. So I think there's a, a degree of biology and anthropology behind that as well. Sorry, not to cut you off, but just to clarify. 
No, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense too. And and you think that too, like you go out, you you know, you go to restaurants, you go to bars, whatever, and you 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 know, you meet people, and you think that too. You're like, ah, in my head, I'm an A-type personality. I'm cutthroat. I'm a go-getter, um, tactically. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And we automatically start judging the guy next to us, like, You're right? Does he have what I right. have? Like, um, yeah, I was in the military. In the back of my head, like, I've done some shit. Has this guy done that? Right? right? Like, is so, yeah. Did that did that answer that, your question? That, that does answer it, and I think uh, I, I think it's important to to ask. Well, Charlie, let me maybe let me pivot to you. What did you think, Charlie, growing up about men? Obviously, your dad was a, a Type A. He was a go getter. He was a, a JSOC, you know, operator, and did a lot of cool things. So. What did you think of masculinity and then talk about how that's changed over time for you? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because that's exactly what I was thinking about when Mason and Dave were talking. And uh, as a prelude to answering the question, I want to revisit something that Mason brought up. He, He mentioned Jack Donovan, and I'm a big fan. I was first exposed to some of his writing many years ago when he brought up the idea of violence as a gold standard. Uh, and learn to love the battle axe because at the end of the day, if you don't, someone else will. And I think that ties into our discussion about masculinity because at the end of the day, uh, it's a group effort. Everyone's involved in it. Chris, as you know, my wife was in for 10 years. Uh, I've had many female bosses and many female colleagues. At the end of the day, it's it's mostly men that are dying in the combat arms units and that are, that are carrying the load on the battlefield. So I thought that was an interesting preface to to this discussion. And one of the things I noticed over the years growing up and especially right now is the way that masculinity is viewed almost universally as a negative. And while we were talking earlier in the show, I just Googled masculinity, see what popped up in the headlines. And I encourage our listeners to do the same thing. So I'm looking at the, the Google search headlines and they're almost, they're all negative. Uh, this sure. task, toxic masculinity, last frontier of masculinity, patriarchy messed up my life, et cetera. It goes on. So that's the biggest change that I've noticed growing up is when I was a child, masculinity was held up as a good thing. It wasn't superior, certainly, but it was a good thing to do. Uh, Masculinity took care of people, protected what needed to be protected. You took care of your family. You you respected other people. You paid your debts. You kept your word. All of those things that I think about when I think of masculinity have kind of been co-opted to this fragility and toxicity that I think is not helpful. And with a lot of the things that are going on in the world with a lot of men misbehaving and people not doing the things they ought to do, maybe we need more masculinity in the world and not less. I think it's, it's, it's okay to, I mean, you'll take anything to an extreme. It could be bad, but right now maybe we need a little bit more instead of a little bit less. Yeah. Dave, where did you get your idea of masculinity from as a kid when you were growing up? Where did you, was it from movies? I'll speak for myself as an example. Everything I I know about masculinity came from Steven Seagal and I have no regrets about that whatsoever. But for you, for, for other individuals, where do they get, I'm interested, where'd you guys get your images of masculinity, your ideals of masculinity? Um, my ideas of masculinity, I mean, I, you know, I grew up watching movies like Rambo and, uh, and, uh, what's his name there? John McClane and, um, Die Hard, right? right? Like those guys are right. just bad dudes. Right. So that's what you kind of picture of somebody who's like, you know, awesome. Right. Right. Somebody who you kind of want to be like growing up. Right. And I think, again, to bring back when we are Clary's, um, 
you know, you talked about what do you think about these, you know, like these Jason Bourne type characters that right. are on in these movies. Right. Do you think that those are the type of guys that, that women want? And it's like, yeah, probably, but they're just going to be training so much and like right. operational right. so much that they're right. never going to even have time to have right. kids or, or, or meet women. Right. So, um, but yeah, I grew up watching those movies and that's kind of where I first. So, first so then I'm, I'm going to revisit this and then Mason, I'm going to go to you with the same question. Now down the road, you know, like we talked about, where you see the movies now, Dave, and you're like, oh man, okay, that's bullshit. Okay, that doesn't happen. This is, you know, made up, whatever. Is there disillusion? Is there wisdom? How do you feel about it? How do you feel that you've your ideas of masculinity have changed from the kid that was watching Bruce Willis, you know, jump around an office building and, and you know, snatch souls? Um, yeah, yeah, I think over the years, right, we, we've... We meet leaders in the military, right? Good leaders, bad leaders, great leaders. And we kind of pick and choose the attributes that we want to use or implement into our own lives. Um, and I think over the years, I've just become more reserved in a sense where uh, I'm still A-type, but I'm more tactful on how I how I act. So with relation to the movies, um, you know, I, we constantly are correcting people in movies like look at his trigger discipline, you know, no one would ever wear that in combat. Right. Um, so I think it's changed where I just don't really give a shit about the movies anymore. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's realistic. But your but your sense of your own masculinity has changed. Right. And what that means to be more masculine has kind of been a, a polishing and a refinement. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've I've taken from the leaders that I really, truly admire. And I've implemented them into my own life um, for the better to, you know, be masculine, um, but also, you know, be, be soft when the time comes, like for my daughter. I think, you know, being a father has changed the way that I think of of being a man. Yeah. You know, it's OK to, you know, um, be soft for your kids and your family when when it's uh, appropriate. Right. But it's also appropriate to be rough and, and give tough love sometimes. So Mesa, I'm going to, I'm going to send it to you, but I want to preface it. Um, the idea of the gentleman, the gentleman, um, you know, originally was supposed to be the evolution of raw masculinity, that you have the ability to be a killer. You have the ability to bare your teeth. You have the ability to overcome steep obstacles yet because of wisdom, experience, sometimes age, you have learned to polish it, to refine it, and you still have it. You haven't lost anything, but you know how not to just look like an absolute savage, but act like a gentleman, but have the savage underneath. Where do you feel you are right now? How does that relate to you? Do you feel like, are there times that you feel that you are a gentleman? Are there times where you're like, I want to get there? Or is it something where you're like, I never want to be that guy. I always want to be teeth bared, going full steam. How do you personally feel about it? I, I want to go back to the barracks and get in a fist fight with the PFC. Um, <laughs> no, I, um, I, so it's interesting. I was in college when this idea of toxic masculinity was coming up and young men. So when you brought up like, well, what are your examples in movies? Right. And it's always the, there's a lot of obnoxious examples of masculinity and kind of in the comedies that are out there. And then there's the, like, I grew up on action movies. I watched like eighties action movies, Arnold movies with my dad. And it's, it's the muscles and it's the intensity and it's just kicking dudes asses. And, you know, but knowing when to fight is an important thing. And 
something I've learned over time is that masculine, like, so I, I was obnoxious in college. I was obnoxious and young and, and boastful because you're projecting because you are still trying to prove it to yourself. And there's just not many places left in, in American society to do it. I had football. Football taught me a ton about how to be a man amongst other men, be a part of a team, how to, how to engage in controlled violence. Um, you know, and I pursued football and then rugby in college. Um, but I, I was getting in bar fights and I, I was just like, a, a, a chest thumper. And, you know, really the last place I could go that was going to put me in my place and teach me, Hey, this is what it actually means to be a, a, a man was the Marine Corps. And what I, what I've learned is that a man is not the, the guy losing his cool when things are not going right is a, is still a child, right? A man is someone who, when we talked the, the opening quote, when things are going wrong, a man is going to step back, pull himself out, look at the situation and say, what is in my sphere of control? What is not? If it's not, I'm throwing it away. I'm going to handle what I can handle and work from there and solve it. And I'm not going to let my emotions run me. I'm going to run my, I'm becoming a man is becoming a master of oneself. And there's that Jordan Peterson quote about a good man is not a harmless man. A, a good man is a monster who's got that in check. And it it goes back to like what Dave said about like, who's here in Ranger Regiment to kill someone, right? When I was at MEPS and I'm talking to these kids who were going to non-infantry roles or the Air Force, they're talking about like, I got a $20,000 bonus. All I'm going to do is pump gas. And these kids are, uh, you know, not not to like rag on the branches, but these kids are like overweight. I had to cut 50 pounds to get in the Marine Corps. I was dehydrated. They're like, why did you join? Like, you know, like, are you going to get a bonus? And I'm like, I'm not getting shit. I joined because I want to shoot someone with a machine gun. And kids were like, whoa. It's like, yeah, this is what the, this is what my branch is. And I went yeah. there with still almost with some of that immaturity. And it's once you start getting put in these like high stress situations, you realize like, oh, shit, I'm not as mature as I thought I was, even as a 26 year old college graduate. Right. Right. Um, I think I have come a tremendously long way through my time in the Marine Corps and, and through and through some of my fuck ups. Being a man is about accountability and we, t- we preach accountability. Hey, you're accountable for every shot you send downrange. I send some shots downrange in my personal life that I'm not proud of. And becoming a man for me was owning that and saying, I'm going to be better than that. So Charlie, how much of masculinity, you know, obviously we're talking with Dave, we're talking with Mason, we're talking about, I mean, both you guys are coming at it from a hard charging infantry mindset, right? How much of masculinity needs to relate to that? Is there room in masculinity or what should be masculinity for other types of guys? Or do you need to have go, gone and, you know, been a hard charger and tried to snatch souls in order to earn your stripes as a man? I, th- I think so. Now that I'm almost 50 and been in the army 27 years, my idea of what it takes to be a man is much different than when I was 18 or, or 23. And for me now, a, a man is someone who takes care of their family, keeps their word, is a good person. And that's there's a big tent under that for, mm-hmm. for anybody. And I only spent four years in the infantry. I came in the branch detail program. And uh, frankly, I didn't fit in as well it, with the infantry folks as I did with the intel folks, largely because I had a different idea of, of what it meant to be a man and be masculine than a lot of my peers did. And I didn't think there's anything wrong necessarily with the way they viewed it. I just had a different view. And certainly now, uh, with the benefit of hindsight and age, 
I think there's many different ways to be a man and there's different levels of it and different degrees. And if you take, if you do what you're supposed to do, if you're a good person, you take care of your family, that's, that's the bottom line standard for me. I think we're always going to need men to do dangerous jobs and take risks and men like to do that and are good at it. Um, Some women are are good at those things also, but I think uh, right now we're, we're teaching a lot of men that they're inherently bad just for being male. And we're, I, I'm worried about what we're doing to the psyche of young men. Fewer and fewer of them are, are, are going to college. Sure. Uh, there, there's headlines on that. And more and more of them have men, mental health issues because they're being told bad. They're, they're bad often. Yeah. Um, and, and we shouldn't be doing that. So it's funny. I, I remember, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but I remember the first time I ran into black block, um, you know, uh, I guess the pre forerunner of Antifa. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of Venn diagram overlaps between those two, but the first time I ran into them and I was like, damn, y'all are looking for a war, you know? Yeah. And, th- and I was looking around and going, you know, there are wars available. There are active, you can actively go and get recruited and go fight in a war right now if you want. But instead you're making war here in the peaceful countryside when there are actual wars to be had. And that to me, when I hear, um, and Mason, I want to get your take on this, but when I hear the talk about, you know, the assertiveness, the aggressiveness that it takes to be a man. And I see people like that, that are exploiting aggressiveness, but not in a, not in a place where violence is needed. Um, that, that to me, I think is the, is the most, that that I think is toxic masculinity. Am I right, or what do you think? So I would say, like, is it aggression in terms of bullying, or is it aggression in terms of like, hey, I, I'm going to take some risks because I think, right, and I have confidence in myself as a man that this risk will pay off. Um, so there was some some interesting things, kind of Charlie touched on about like being a man is a a broad scope. Um, I'm going to circle a little bit back to Jack. Donovan's book. And he said, well, what were the, if men are judged men and we'll go back evolutionarily to in the tribe, what were the things they judged each other by that said, Hey, I want this man on my team or Hey, I don't. And he broke it down to the definition you said at the beginning, strength and courage were two of his four things. It was strength, courage, honor, and mastery. So honor comes down to like loyalty. And is he a man of his word? Can I trust him? Or is he a backstabber, right? Courage, meaning when Think when all of the odds are against us, will this guy stand next to me or will he run? Can I count on him in that moment? Strength being physical strength, because these jobs, whether it be fighting or or like he mentioned, men do dangerous jobs. Men make up, I think, 94 percent or something like that. Over 90 percent of workplace deaths are men. It's why part of this wage gap they talk about is men get paid more because men are dying on the job because they're doing Everyone I know who got out that went into a trade, it's a dangerous trade where they can get electrocuted, fall from heights. Like they're risking things. It takes a level of aggression. And then what Charlie talked about, mastery is that thing that allows that very fourth thing where it's if so people talk about being an alpha male and it's like, I'm an alpha male. It's like, you might be, but there is always someone more alpha than you. It's a sliding scale. We mentioned this in Savage Wonder, the best Men in the in the infantry are ones who know when to lead and when to follow. They know when to shut up because someone else is going to be better at this than them. And they say, I'm going to find my role in, on this team and I'm going to fill it instead of um, trying to butt heads with this guy when it, that does not serve the greater purpose. So what he touched on about, it, you know, a, a good man is takes care of his family. Ultimately, 
these and these action heroes, the, the best action heroes are always men who make some type of sacrifice for the greater good. And that is what men are judging each other by. Will this man stand by me, fight for me? Will he give, will he work? Will he carry his share of the load? And if need be for the tribe on the perimeter, right? We're going way back in evolution. When we got to hold the line and defend our women and children, will he die for me? Will he sacrifice? Being a man ultimately is serving something bigger than yourself. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I want to I, I wanna drill down a little bit more into it with you, Mason. So what keeps coming to me is, and I, it, this is partially because when I'm scrolling on Instagram, you know, like Go Ruck is having a competition right now where they're smoking a bunch of dudes and they're all out there rucking. And uh, you got a lot of veteran influencers doing CrossFit Plus or whatever kind of extreme workouts. And that's all awesome. And there's a lot of good influence that gets put out there through that. But I do think sometimes there is too much weight placed on the physical and for understandable reasons and maybe not as much weight placed on moral courage on the courage and i say that um with a lot of experience working with you know guys that were super in shape um and things got weird something happened somebody would do something and there was there were times that i can point to and these are moments that stick with me where i'm like there wasn't the moral courage to sit and think and determine what was right and stand by that even when it wasn't popular. And it's great to do CrossFit five times a day, but where is the moral courage coming from? And that is a different muscle. And there are, and it's great when you find somebody that has courage in all facets of life and can squat 600 pounds. Um, but I think it's. I think when we talk about ma- masculinity, to me, a big part of that is going. What is? What are you willing to be assertive about? And what are you willing? Not even necessarily physically to fight for, because let's be honest, a lot of times in life you don't physically need to engage, especially in America, in the first world, in this day and age. But you do need to be able to speak articulately and reasoned and not give an inch unless even if it's not popular yeah i think i think peer pressure and popularity is more of a threat than physical threats often to us mm-hmm. so to me a, a, a true uh, a, the the moral foundation from which you grow and from which your actions are justified is to me a large part of being a man what's your reaction to that mason am i onto something or how do you see it I think you're definitely onto something. So clearly the the book, The Way of Men, influenced a lot about what I believe about masculinity. And he's he he makes the he's, he kind of circles back to this whole good man, like good moral person, a, a, just a moral person. And then these are the qualities that make you good at being a man, separate from mm-hmm. like biologically a man, right? And he says, to be a good, a truly good man, you want to bring that together. Because if you master uh, strength, honor, courage, and mastery, right? And you kind of, you brought up like fitness being like the only thing. Not everyone is the fittest. And then as men age, you know what they bring to the table instead of fitness? Wisdom and knowledge and trades. There's a lot of guys who are not in great shape who are the reason we have plumbing, lights, a roof over our heads. And that is incredibly important to society as well. The trades are so important. 
and men are gravitating away from college because they're tired of being told, oh, well, you're a toxic male and you should be ashamed of yourself. They're like, you know what I'm going to go do? I'm going to go make $100,000 a year being a lineman and you can suck. I'm not, I'm not gonna no, no, that. you're good. We, but, we do that occasionally here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. But, but, but um, listen, let, let me also let me, let, let me yeah. jump on the on the coattails of that, though. Okay. I would even say, look, if a guy if a guy's a great cartoonist or if a guy wants to be an animator yes. or if a guy's an yes. actor, if you're it doesn't matter what it is, what I think get becomes they're contrib Well, they're contributing. And let's be clear. If you're contributing in the culture yes. that now it, in in America in in 2021 that is possibly the most influential profession you can get in mm -hmm. and what yeah. i think we're and i and i'm gonna I'll, I'll i'll throw the first hand grenade here uh in, in the conversation and and calling out people that maybe we would have some disagreements with i will jump i think on it. too I much of our to too much it. of our you're the best uh too much of our <laughs> culture i think is being run by the drama club you know, yes. um, so it's high school drama club, and but that's who has the bullhorn. And I think mm -hmm. where and and there are people that aren't necessarily in that mindset that are courageous and have opinions and all that, but they give away they give them away because they look it's in this business I can't have that opinion I can't be this kind of yeah. person and I think that's where the moral courage comes in and it's in in some cases it's all well and good to say I'm going to go ruck you know, 57 miles in a 24 hour period, uh, through harsh West Virginia countryside. And that's cool. And that's awesome. And there's a lot of beauty and strength and valor and all that and all that. But the fight in many respects for masculinity is happening in the culture and it's happening with people who have the moral courage to defend it in a public forum and, uh, and bear that weight. Do with that as you see fit. Let's talk Lieutenant. Let, let's let's talk moral courage. Let's talk Lieutenant uh, Colonel Stuart Scheller, who just uh, got a, a favorable sentencing at his court martial. He showed moral courage because, like you said, moral moral cowardice is shutting up, getting in line, and going along with a system that owns you because you are afraid of the consequences of bucking a system, even when you see its failures and its and its immorality and, and, and shameful things within it. So he stood up and said, hey, everyone in charge, why did 13 service members die when we could have kept Bagram, when we could have evacuated these people while we still owned that country? Because let's be clear, a lot of people were like, oh, Afghanistan is not a real combat deployment anymore. You know what was keeping peace in Afghanistan? A bunch of Borderlands corporals and specialists on post on their cell phones. That's how much power well, and authority we exerted. We're, and we we're gave lucky it away. to have a, uh, yeah. an active army lieutenant colonel, and I'll put Charlie's uh, well-practiced stance of radical neutrality Ooh. to the test. Charlie, what do you All think? Right. What do you want to say about the <laughs> Stu Schiller situation? Yeah, I don't, I don't have an, ex an opinion to express on the situation around why, why it's being adjudicated. I do think it's very interesting and some things I was thinking about when you were talking, Chris and Mason, you brought up some excellent points I want to I want to revisit. I think moral weakness always leads to moral weakness leads to moral threats and moral threats always lead to physical threats. Mm -hmm. So personally, I'd rather have someone who's got moral courage and physical courage. I can train people in physical fitness. I've done it for many years. I can train people to have physical courage It's a little harder. But it's very hard to train people to have good character and have moral courage. I believe everything can be developed. Some things can be developed 
easier than others. So I can train a guy to lift 600 pounds or whatever, but how, how they use that afterwards, whether they become a bully or they become a coward, that to me is a lot more consequential. So physical strength, I do think is useful and important for a man. You should keep yourself fit and in good, in, in good health. I'm not doing such a good job of that right now myself, but, um, I think that's an important component of it, but how you act, how you treat other people, I think is a better mark of a man, kind of like what Mason was saying earlier. And as we get older, I think it's easier for us to do that. When I was young, I certainly didn't have that opinion. And I think that that's a combination of hormones and expectations and uncertainty and maturity. And a lot of that goes away after you, you have some experiences, you establish some credibility for yourself, maybe you get married and, and you grow up a little bit. And then you, you really try to figure out what what makes someone masculine, what masculinity is, and it's not what's being portrayed in the press right now. So one piece of housekeeping for everybody listening, uh, Dave Camposano, which I should have mentioned up front, he was uh, our first guest ever in a moving vehicle during the show. And uh, that did not work out great. So we lost him. He's trying to get back on. So if you're wondering why I'm not talking to Dave, that's why. Um, But Charlie, let me, let me pick it up from there. So, I think we've. I started to identify some of the key qualities that are desirable in masculinity. Mason, how do we get there? If you have to start from scratch, and when you have a kid, you will be starting from scratch. What are the pillars? What do we build a man on? That is an interesting question, man. I mean, I'm I'm single. I'm dating. Uh, and, and I'm kind of very focused on on myself right now. Um, so I'm not even thinking in terms yet of um, having a family. I want one one day. Um, so I, I, I'll circle back to, to kind of how my father raised me um, because this is a, a great example of what masculinity to me should look like. Um, so we talk a lot about these very alpha things. Like I joined a very alpha world Um my dad uh, is actually was born with um, a form of muscular dystrophy that affects his upper body. So he's like six foot three and broad. I have my broadness from him and he's a thickly built guy, but he cannot bench press over hundred pounds because of that muscular degenerative disease. Um, so he did not play sports. Uh, and then my family got away from the tradition of hunting and fishing that is so common in Louisiana because my great grandfather did not teach my grandfather how to do it in hopes that he would go to college and get an education and take my family out of generational kind of uneducated poverty, which he did. Um, Part of masculinity is leaving something behind better for your family. So then my dad became a college graduate and, and, you know, not as versed in these hyper-masculine things such like he's handy enough. And he definitely like does a great job of like keeping up his property and maintaining his stuff, which which I think is important. Um, But like not, not, not necessarily a craftsman in, in any form or fashion, did not know how to hunt or fish and, and physically um, ha- had some issues, you know, but, um, you know, I, I hate to talk about him in, in this way. But so when I talked earlier about like being calm in certain situations, like half Sicilian grew up with eight Sicilian <laughs> uncles. Um, what? Uh, there's like a creepy old. This is, this Speaking is my, of masculinity. This is, yeah. Yeah. So this is a he. So uh, the, I'll come back to like what the Sounds fuck like that the was. start of the Halloween episode. <laughs> Creepy. So I'm at my grandparents' house. Neither one, of the, neither one of them are alive. He moved in here to take care of my grandmother. Um. So we're in the process of like kind of moving everything out of here. So this like weird doll just started making noise. But anyway, so my dad um had a 
he had a low uh, control of his temper when he was younger and when I was younger. And I got mm. the brunt of that a lot as a young man. And it made me often feel like I was not doing a good enough job. And the thing is, like, he was a loving father. He always told me, I love you and I'm proud of you. And he meant it. But the ex- right. he was a perfectionist in so many ways, which probably is what drove me to be a perfectionist myself and, and really chase high standards. But it often felt like I wasn't good enough, right? Um, so... It's control of emotion was kind of uh, in, a, in Greek tragedies. They always have an Achilles heel, right? His Achilles heel was his, his un, inability to control temper and emotion. And it ended up uh, costing him his marriage. And then growing up a child of divorce is, is a it causes problems um, and it causes young men to act out. I chased a lot of thrill seeking behavior um, out of frustration. I developed issues with alcohol that plagued me really into my late 20s while I was still a Marine. Um, but apart from that, what I saw from my father was after he, you know, lost his marriage, um, never complained about child support, gave and gave and gave and gave more worked at jobs. He didn't particularly enjoy. Um, he's, he's an accountant and he makes great money. He, he said he picked it cause it's safe, right? He, he, he took safe choices, um, for his family uh, and it, it paid off. It, it gave us a stability even through divorce, divorce, is divorce statistically will half the wealth of a family. And we still came out all right. And we came out all right because he was willing to live in a two bedroom apartment um, and and not always have full custody of his kids. We butted heads a lot uh, when I was a teenager, but his family was always, always, always first. So me and my brother that's two years apart, we're out of the house. We're in college. I got a siblings that are about 10 years younger than me, boy and girl, they're in college right now. But he was so, uh, the, the guy never missed a football game, never missed a baseball game, never missed anything from my sister. He was there. He was present, right? Um, and when my grandfather passed away, my grandmother had had multiple hip surgeries and replacements, and they were just not working. She was nearly crippled. So he moves into the house with her because he's the only one of his brothers that's, that's not married. So he's taking care of her and taking care of my two younger siblings and still, you know, still my father figure as I'm in my mid twenties trying to figure my life out. I got arrested in college and that's what prevented me from becoming an officer. So I was going through some things and there was some, some disappointment and there were some talks where it was like, you gotta, you gotta get it right. Um, you know, but he never abandoned me or never, um, gave up on me. And he showed me so much about what it means to sacrifice for family. So he moved in. He's taking care of my grandmother. Eventually, she has to go to the nursing home. He would work, commute an hour to and from work. So 10-hour day, really. Um, Every night, go have dinner with my grandmother so she wouldn't be alone, do her laundry, help her brush her teeth. She got very weak toward the end of her life. you know. And on weekends, he would take a vacation occasionally. And one of the other brothers would go take care of her. And he'd go you know, take a trip to the beach or something. Um, or, or go go to an LSU football or a Saints game or something just to, to get out and enjoy something like with his kids. But every weekend, all weekend, you know, go into church with my grandmother. Uh, I mean, my family is yeah. very heavily Catholic and, and that gave us structure. It gave us morals. It gave us something to always ground ourselves to. And, um, you know, he took care of her until the day she died, which was uh, a year and a, uh, almost two years now. And seeing him finally at 58 have to transition back to a point in his life where he's now finally in this last act of his life, having to learn how to live for himself. It's almost hard for him. He has not done anything for himself without putting his kids or his parents first. 
in his entire adult life, even through divorce and, and through some personal failures. And it's it's a beautiful thing to see. And that is to me, you know, for what he, for what he lacks in these traditional super type A things, he is he put on a master class of what it means to be a man who serves his family. And that above all else is what I want to emulate. Mason, let me ask you a deeply personal question that you can answer any way you see fit. When you look at yourself right now and you look at your dad after what he's been through and how he's lived his life, how do you consider yourself when you look at if you've, do you believe you've measured up to him? Do you believe you're doing, you figured out some things that he didn't figure out? Or do you feel like you're behind some of the things that he has figured out? Or he's done some things that you haven't yet had to accomplish? How do you feel? I think that, um, so he and my mom will both admit that they got married young and quick because that's just what kids from South Louisiana do. And that he realizes now, and she, and she, she realized it and left, um, and it was hard uh, but it was the right thing to do because they've both grown into who they're supposed to be. And I, I think it made me and my siblings more resilient. And we're still a, a, a super close family. We're just a, a, a divorced family. Um, but I've learned from his successes and I've learned from his failures. And I am he's and, and, and in so many ways, he's my best friend. I could be doing all kinds of stuff with my Saturday. I come hang out with him and eat his cooking. He loves to cook. He's a great cook. Uh, amazing pastalaya, um, that good Cajun cooking. But um, I like to hang out with him and just watch football and just be with him. I go to church with him when I. Granted, I didn't bring anything good to wear to church this weekend, so I'm going to be missing. But my my grandparents founded the church on this side of town that has a Catholic elementary school that I went to. We all went to. Like it's it's the yeah. Catholic faith is deeply important to us, and it it gave him a structure and it gave him something to lean on and it gave him a rock when he was lost at sea. And I'm not deeply religious, but that faith is something that is part of me. And it, it it's powerful right. when I go it's a with pillar. him to It's a pillar. It's a it's a pillar. It's it's something that I go yeah. to with him and it's we grew I grew up in this church and my grandparents sat in the front and my grandfather gave communion to us. And it, it was just it, it's it's where so many memories of my life are. So just going and being with him and present and singing those familiar songs. My godfather, his younger brother, um, is like in charge of like a bunch of stuff for the church and sings at every mass all weekend. He works all weekend at the church. And it's, I see these things. So I I think when the time comes, I'm going to be able to say, um, I took what I learned from my father, not just from what he did right, but from where he, he slipped along the way. Um, and, you know, the thing is, he made safe choices. Um, I've taken some wild risks and I've made some bets that that I lost um, in my in my 20s. Um, so I, and, and I'm kind of living a lifestyle we talked about on Savage Wonder where it's not really stable yet. I think I can make it with the things I'm trying to pursue. But um you know, if, if I were to, you know, God forbid, like, I hate to kind of talk this way, but like, if I were to like knock some chick up and she's like, we're keeping this kid, I would go back to the refinery in a heartbeat because I'm giving my kid what he deserves and he deserves stability. He doesn't deserve me chasing yeah. my dreams. Once yeah. once you bring another life yeah. into this world, it's, it's never going to be about you again. You don't get to do that anymore. Um, I'm a big yeah. believer in that, you know? 
No, 100%. And Charlie, I want to ask you now, as a father of daughters, what has masculinity meant to you as a father? Have you tried to set that example and impart you know, what masculinity should look like so they understand yeah, and appreciate I, that? Yeah, my oldest daughter is 17 and my, my youngest is 13, so this is very much on my mind right now. What I try to do is role model the type of man that I want them to have in their lives. And I realize, especially for my oldest daughter, very soon I'll, I will stop being the most important man in her life. It's just the way it goes. You know, it's, it's, sometimes some other man's going to swoop in. And what I'm trying to do is help her understand what, what I think it means to be a man and what she should look for when she starts looking for a boyfriend and a husband down the road. And in typical officer fashion, while Mason was talking, I, I jotted down a quick acronym of what I think uh, masculinity should be. And it spells out the word please, P-L-E-A-S. So I think uh, a man needs to protect. I think a man needs to love, set a good example, uh, be accountable and serve. So P-L-E-A-S. So just in my, my five-minute thought process of, of what a man can do, that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking for. And Mason, before we get off the subject, I just want to say your dad sounds like a really cool dude. So maybe we'll get to chill with him one day and talk about how Alabama's better than LSU. Uh, Alabama, unfortunately, <laughs> is measured against perfection, and everyone else gets the luxury of just measuring themselves against Alabama. Um, uh, if you're a Bama fan, hey, you're except, welcome. Except for A&M, right? You're, uh, yeah, well, A&M gives them their best shot, and Alabama kind of probably went in there sleepwalking. But you know what? Hey, if you're a Bama fan, you're welcome for Nick Saban, Nick Saban that backstabbing little rat. Um, <laughs> I, you, know, I'm, you know what? I, yeah, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I'm super pumped that we have Coach Ogeron now because he's from down to Bayou and cut off St. Paris' as me and he grew up uh, uh, shucking crawfish and putting shrimp on a boat and uh, go Tigers. Oh, uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I uh, <laughs> luckily, my time in the Marine Corps brought me away from football season so much that it was no longer so important. So I can now sit in the recliner, you know, with my dad to the right screaming and I'll like kind of get excited and he'll be like, cut off a penalty. And I'm like, well, let's just watch the replay. You know, maybe, uh, maybe it's not that important in the grand, maybe in the grand scheme of things, the hey, win loss. Dude, listen, know. that that's a real thing though. That's a real thing. Mm-hmm. It always concern. This is a hypothesis, but every time I saw people on deployment, get fired up over football season and screaming and ranting and raving, I was like, I don't think you're doing enough. On deploy, like, like if this is still that important, like, like, dude, there, there's, like, your your priorities haven't haven't been reconfigured yet, and um, no. I think that's a big tell. When you'll know you're becoming more of a civilian when football starts to, when all your your martial passions get channeled into football as opposed to your day to day work. I think that's the true sign of a civilian. Hey, before we we before we uh, go into the last segment here, I want to throw out the one last piece on masculinity, Mason. Can masculinity be perverted? Can it become toxic, and how? It it can absolutely. When can be it be toxic. taken too and far? Yeah. What, what I was thinking, kind of, when Charlie was talking earlier, I forget what he was saying. I, I think he was talking about being a, a more mature man. But young masculinity competes. Young men in high school are at each other's throats because they are so in. They are just coming into their testosterone and they are aggressively trying to establish some kind of pecking order and see where do I fall because I want to date the hottest girl here. So that means I have to be the toughest guy here and it's immature and it, it comes out all wrong, which is why good mass, good men shape their sons to not 
act out that way. So me, I am divorced and I'm not around my dad a lot. He's working a ton and we're button heads so much. Eventually I was like, I'm just going to stay with mom because she was working four, three and four jobs. I'm like, I'm just going to run that household. So uh, is a 15 year old mature enough to run a household? No, absolutely. Especially when all he's doing is my mom actually got me a job working construction at 14. Cause I looked like this, um, which was eye opening for me. But, um, you know, young masculinity competes and then secure masculinity. Once a man has kind of gone through whatever he's got to go through to prove to himself, like, Hey, I'm a man and I'm not insecure about being a man. I know exactly who I am. I'm finally there. Um, it doesn't feel threatened by other men. A, a, a man who's secure understands that there's going to be a man who's like more macho than him somewhere, right? And he's not going to get caught up in that because generally a guy that's in his 30s and 40s peacocking super hard probably is actually not that secure. What a secure man does is he finds other men and he builds them up and he makes them better men. And he gets he gets the idea of what like good balanced masculinity that serves the community, right? He builds that up. Perverted masculinity is guys who never stop competing ever because it's all about them. That is perverted masculinity. And mm. in the world That's of true. politics, in the world of politics, you should go into politics ideally to be a public servant. Politics is when you as a man and a public servant say, how can I rig this game to not help the people and help me? And make it about mine, right? That like selfishness I, I do is think, what corrupts. I, I, I agree. I, I agree. I do think there's something to that. I also think, though, you really hit on something that resonated with me. I do think if you haven't proven yourself, and if you don't know what you're capable of, for better or for worse, but if those boundaries have been untested, I think that denotes that that just implicitly is a lack of wisdom and there are going to be bad choices you make because you haven't fully flexed your muscles you don't know what your ability to to take a load is and that i think just i i think that leads to bad decision making charlie you think i'm onto something i absolutely do and i think for a lot of us uh men never stop competing they just compete in different ways yeah and i was laughing when 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 mason was talking i recently uh started coaching the combat weapons team here, one of many coaches that uh, on the team. And remember the first time I came out, it's kind of a getting to know you for, for both of us. Uh, the, the cadets invited me to shoot. And I was like, okay, fine. But immediately they put me on the clock and recorded my scores, which by the way, weren't good. Cause the first time I ever did anything like this. So they're like, Nope, welcome to the team. You got to compete to stay here, coach. So uh, I think that that never stops. And for me personally, one of the students that I'm teaching right now is involved in one of the esports clubs here. And of course, they're they're very good at it. But um, I used to be pretty good at old school Call of Duty. So now we're going to have an old dudes versus young guys uh, old school Call of Duty competition, which we're going to get slaughtered. And because most of my my uh, major and lieutenant colonel and sergeant major friends don't play Call of Duty, but I think we always compete at some level. And I think as long as we keep that healthy and b- making the, all of us better, which in both of those examples we are, then I think that's okay. So Mason. I want to shift gears. Tell me about Patrol Base Abate and everything that people should know about it. Uh, okay, so Patrol Base Abate was founded by Major Tom Schumann. He taught literature at the Naval Academy after um, he was a platoon commander in 3-5 when they uh, took Sangin back from the Taliban. Um, 
look at the documentary for the 25. Uh, the, the nonprofit is named after Sergeant Matabate, a Marine Corps scout sniper who died on that deployment. Um, so Tom was a platoon commander there. He spent some time as a, um, like a kind of like an air control officer type role with recon. Then he was a company commander with 3-4, went to college, studied veteran literature, uh, specifically around the themes of veterans coming home from war. Um, and that impacted him a lot. He taught literature at the Naval Academy for two years about it after. And then he started Kill Zone and started sharing a lot of these ideas online. Um, and then he lost three of his former uh, Marines to suicide in 2020. So he started researching. He said, well, what, what are the issues here? Like, what's causing this? How do I get left to bang? How do I become proactive instead of reactive to this? Right. Because we're all losing people. It's, it's happening. I lost one of my junior Marines while I was running the second retreat up there. Um, so he started going through it. He found that combat actually had nothing to do with the suicide rate. Non-combat veterans killed themselves at double the rate. Um, and the issues were like feelings of lack of purpose, lack of self-worth, uh, isolation and loneliness. He said, well, how do we fix that? Right. Um, let's build communities. So, you know, the idea of patrol base Abate is that this retreat center in Montana is a patrol base for you to go and rest and refit. And your mission when you go back out is to go build your community and start getting veterans together. And you'll give, you know, you, you give each other that sense of purpose back by getting involved with other like local nonprofits that do outreach within your community. So like there's 40 chapters across the country right now. They're all very active. They meet, they get together, they have a couple beers and they'll do like the ones in SoCal will do like a beach cleanup or like they'll do so, you know, Habitat for Humanity, build a house for better, homeless. They just get, get involved. And then the retreats are based off of club yeah. interests. So I went to book club, which was a lot of veteran authors, writers, and just vets who are into that literature thing. The next one was fight club. Right. And these dudes were up in the mountains, like doing jujitsu and Muay Thai on a platform that book club built with skid steers and gravel loaders. And it was just a cool experience. And then strength club came out there and did CrossFit. And thank God I wasn't uh, involved in that because they were getting absolutely like slayed up there. Um, music club did a retreat. Uh, I missed it because I evacuated for the hurricane, but they were up there just jamming out and getting to know each other. And these retreats are powerful, authentic experiences. Um, so I, I volunteer for them a lot. They can yeah, find it tell people where they on Instagram, it. on Instagram at PB Abate, A-B-B-A-T-E, or, uh, I, I, if I don't know a website, I just Google search stuff. But um, I know it's a .org website, which is where you actually sign up for things. I don't know. So and if it you're comes in the up Texas really Austin, quickly. Yeah. It's the only thing named that. Uh, it's very yeah. specific. But um, there's a uh, pistol clinic. There's like a, We got a ton of ammunition donated um, out in Austin, Texas. That chapter's meeting up. Um, if you're in gun club or if you just want to go out there and kind of like, you know, get better at your pistol marksmanship, um, you know, that's being run out there by, uh, first Sergeant Seamus Flynn. He runs a page called Constellation Group 138. It's like a military professionalism page. He's a great dude. He runs the Austin chapter. Um, I think signups are still available for that. I don't know if it's got, it's full or not. I'll be out there. It's November 6th. Um, so plug in that event hard cause it's going to be great. I'm going to bring a bunch of guns for myself. And maybe, you know, if you want to bring your own five, five, six or seven, six, two, like, you know, like make my gun as dirty as you want, I guess. I don't really care. So cool. Awesome. And Charlie, what's going on in second mission? Well, I think we talked about this last time I was on the show, but real proud of armor of God. I'm holding it up for you guys to see. I know our audience doesn't get the video, but uh, 
making some last minute changes to this one and I'm going to get the hard copy out. I've got five or six more books in the works and Chris, super excited about what you guys are, are kicking off with vet rep. No, you got some good stuff going on up there in Cornwall and Mason, I think you and I should talk because I'm sitting here listening to what you guys are doing. And I think it nests very well with what we're doing with second mission. And I think there's a, there's a lot that we can do um, by a little bit of a combining forces there to help out some vets. So I'll get you offline on that. Yeah, let, let's, let's so cross Chris. Please. Yeah. Just, Let's do it. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that escalated <laughs> quickly. All right. Let's, uh, yeah. Let's let's touch tips. Um, hey, so Chris, I uh, yeah. Chris, I have a, a I have a poem on masculinity that I think is very uh, it, it. I looked it up before I came on, and I was like, this. I, I've forgotten half the stuff I've written, but I'm like, this hits on really everything we talked about. I'd I'd be privileged if you'd uh, if I could read it. On yeah, this go podcast. for it. Go for it. Absolutely, hundred okay. percent. So yes. um, this this poem is titled "Male Privilege." All right, let me catch my breath before I do this. Man is born and from cradle to grave, questioned as to why he won't behave. Boy goes to school to sit in class. Why won't boy sit still? Boy won't pass. Put the little boy on ADHD medication. There's no way this will negatively impact the nation. Boy is dumb. Boy is rude. Boy seems to have a bad attitude. Boy becomes teen and teen is torn. Teen is fed nothing but lies and porn. Teen is confused about urges in his sexuality. Teen is told he must go get a college degree. Go to college to learn men are rapists, men are trash. Why the hatred of men in mandatory feminism class? And the girls make the grade and are told to be liberated sexually. The boys get accused of sexual assault after it happens consensually. Boys drop out and go learn a trade. They have to become a man. They have to get paid. Both sexes want love, but only one will get it unconditionally. A man must bring things to the table like stability and security. And where are the real men all the women wonder? They are chewed up and spit out and foot trampled under. They are fighting your wars and building your cities and taking out your garbage and manufacturing your goods, but they can't afford to live in your white-collar neighborhoods. Blamed for all of society's ills while we're killing ourselves to pay the bills. Arguing the wage gap is a waste of our breath while we account for 97% of combat deaths. Rant and scream about toxic masculinity on the rise while we account for two-thirds of suicides. We built this world that we don't understand. We've all been found guilty of the crime of being a man. Okay, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my my initial hot take, which is uh, that really pissed me off takes. at myself because <laughs> I sh- for one thing we should have brought that up on Savage Wonder, and for another thing, I for damn sure should have done more homework and had you lead off with that at the top of the episode. Um, oh, it's that okay. was awesome. That's awesome and plenty of grist for the mill. Um, really interesting piece, and I and let me just give you a plug for putting that out there. I think everybody um, should check out your poetry. That's a great taste of what Mason writes and how he writes. And um, I'm talking about you in the third person, even though I'm looking at you. But point being, everybody should make a point of going out there and seeing it because uh, there is inherently, um, I don't want to say political meaning in in what you write, but there's inherently, um, I think, assertiveness and opinion that permeates what you do. And it's a passion that I think is well-placed and the people will be well-served to go check out whether uh, they like where it's coming from or not. I think it's important for people to understand and, um, and get a grasp on, but I also want to give Charlie a chance to react to it. So I don't 
monopolize the only reaction here. Hey, that was pretty amazing, Mason. We need to we need to feature some of your work on Havoc Journal too. I'll talk to you about that offline also. So it seems like we got a lot to talk about. I've I've been on there uh, twice, so I shared the hammer, um, which is uh, the the metaphor of the hammer. Um, kind of goes to a Charlie Crockett song, and it's this like kind of old like work song, and it's like this nine pound hammer is a little too heavy for my size. Like this nine pound hammer uh, killed John Henry, like worked him to death. Um, you know, like take this hammer, give it to the captain, and tell him I'm gone. Like you know, like I'm leaving. And I use that hammer metaphor about the veteran community, uh, hopefully one day getting to be heard by our government and say, take it back. And we're not doing this for you anymore unless you actually come up with strategy to win. We're not going fight things like the, what's the, what's the old saying? It's like the war was not meant to be won. The war was meant to be continuous. We're not going die for you for 20 years for you to give it away. Like that was, unco- so I wrote that, Havoc Journal shared that. And I wrote one, uh, uh, it was a super badass little video of me just like hip firing a 240 and being like, Rah! but um, the, it was prose, it wasn't poetry, but it was called, it was called shooting from the hip. And it was about the last machine gun range I ever shot. We were uh, range safety officers for recon, third recon in Okinawa. And I was like, they, they were like, you guys want to shoot? We got plenty of ammo. I'm like, I just want to hip fire. I like w- all my officers were like too safety conscious to let me hip fire a, a 240. They're like, well, what about if you had to take contact? I'm like, oh, that's what I said. I'm like, as a machine gunner professionally, I should be able to hip fire the freaking thing. Right. So they were making all their recon dudes shoot them in burst. I walked up there, had a hundred round belt. I was like, Hey, I'm just letting you know, like I am not shooting this in burst. I'm ripping this thing. I am belt fed. And I remembered like there was just this moment, this release of all the tension and the anger of my experiences in the Marine Corps as like I just peppered this hillside and completely missed all the targets because uh, it's fully automatic hit fire is not super accurate. But um, the but you taught that hill lesson. Yeah. Uh, if there were dudes on that hill, they were all down. I promise you that. Um, which is the whole point of suppression. But the, the writing was called shooting from the hip. And it was about how metaphorically my entire twenties has just been me shooting from the hip and hitting sometimes like just a spray and pray, hoping something would work out and some things hit, but a lot of things miss. And about how, when I got out of the the military, I was going to have to actually use some marksmanship and start picking targets and hitting them and making my shots count because I'm 30 and it's time to live my, so you guys shared that uh, back in like, back in, back in February. And it hit, like it really did well, probably because there was a video of a dude shooting a machine gun that always does great. Uh, that always helps. It's done wonders for, uh, for Adam at goons up, but, and this, this was all Instagram, right? Yeah. Everything I have is on Instagram. So that's why Charlie. So are you talking about on the blog? You know, and and, and for all of our listeners, I'm, I'm I'm 50, so I don't do Insta. So, uh, (laughs) I know we can, we, this, yeah. this is a, a conversation with Elisa that has to happen because she's uh, <laughs> she's getting out uh, ahead of the curve on this. All right. Um, okay. That'll be a fun inside joke for everybody that remembers Elisa from earlier episodes. And where has she been, by the way? Why has she been back on the show recently? That's another note hey, to we self. Can, we can fix that. We can fix that. Show. We can Get fix that very Mason. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Listen, it, 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 I think everyone listening knows why Mason was invited on this particular episode. Um it was great to have you on, brother. This was a blast. I really appreciate you being here. Dave Camposano, thanks a million for trying to be here at uh, 70 miles an hour, driving wherever you were driving. And, of course, Charlie, thanks a million for being here, brother. Thanks, brother. Mason, it's been a pleasure. Look forward to chatting. Absolutely. I'm pumped to be involved.
Everyone else, if you have not already subscribed, please go ahead and do so. If you're on iTunes, a five-star review would be just dynamite. You can say whatever you want about us, questions, comments, snide remarks, any kind of constructive criticism. But if you can attach it to a five-star review, we would deeply appreciate it because the metrics do matter. Show notes will be available at the Weekly Havoc. Anything less than five stars, you have to fight me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and send all hate mail to to mason Roderick. we'll make sure all of his links are included if you have any and he'll be there waiting for you send me your hate send me your hatred it feeds me exactly all right show notes available at the weekly they will also be available at my accompanying article at havoc journal and they will also be wherever you're listening to this podcast so just scroll down you'll see show notes you will also see alibis for anything i misstated misremembered something that needed more context anything that makes me wake up in a cold sweat at two in the morning and wonder why i chose to phrase something the way i did that is also available for our guests although generally as i say every week no one really takes me up on that because i'm the only one that really needs to cover my own ass by writing something about it after the fact From Ernest Hemingway to Lee Marvin, from Jimi Hendrix to Mel Brooks, there has always been a very special type of American with one foot in both the warrior world and one foot in the artist world. And after 20 years of war, a whole new generation of veterans are infiltrating artistic realms from poetry to theater, from dance to metal, from watercolor painting to stand-up comedy. Savage Wonder is a podcast about these very special Americans. It's produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events, which, full disclosure, is my nonprofit. If you want to hear me conduct one-on-one long-form interviews with veterans of the military, law enforcement, fire EMS, intelligence services, or DOD contractors who are artists, please consider adding Savage Wonder podcast to your queue. It is also available at savagewonder.podbean.com. All right. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Mason Rodrig, Dave Camposano, and Charlie Faint. And we'll keep trying to make order out of chaos when we see you next time for the Weekly Havoc. Mason, your last name is Rodrig. Rodrig, yeah. So it's pronounced differently in kind of different areas of the state. Like, so between Lafayette to New Orleans is about a two-hour drive on I-10, and then everything everything south of that is really truly what Cajun country is. And Rodrig is a Spanish, Portuguese, French last name. Very mutt. And then you know, uh, on the on my Rodrig side, half Sicilian. So that's why I look like a uh, the way I do. Um, it confused people a lot in the military, and I just went by Rod. Uh, people were like, where's the Z at the end of your name? And I'd be like, where's yeah. the Z on your camis? You know what, bro? That, that's exactly right, because Chris Chris had your name in our Google Doc spreadsheet. It and I just behind him and corrected, it, corrected yep. it to Rodriguez. Oh, did you? I was like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was I like, I think that. you just left a Z off here, no problem. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So, I mean, but I would ask people, I'm like, well, where's the Z on yours? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not walking around with misspelled camis like an asshole. This is my name. But look, I, I just, I became Rod, which is great because most Marines can't speak yeah. in, multiple, in multiple syllables. So, Rod, gun. Yeah. Rod, gun. Rod, gun. Yes. <laughs> 50, 50. Rod gun hip shoot, go. Rod, rod, yeah. rod, rod punch, rod punch. Uh, so, you know, it works really well for the culture I decided to uh, become a part of, and uh, I fit right in.